0: Welcome to Blue Jays Happy Hour Live, Episode 40. We are coming to you at a little bit of an unusual time between a double header. So you may feel differently when if you're listening to this after the fact, depending on the outcome of the next game, the the flu game for Alka Um but we're coming to you after this four two loss to the Rays, which seems to have taken a little bit of the wind out of the sails, but there's also some positives to take from it. Um there's also an amazing end to it in terms of Bobuchet putting up one of those at bats. Stone, what's the first thing that jumps out to you from this, uh, you know, close loss uh, in a tough bullpen game?
1: I yeah, I think the Bobuchet at bat obviously really stands out, which is um, which is maybe an indictment of the rest of the game. But also, I think Mitch White, you know, for the most part, you know, got unlucky. And I I was tweeting like early on, you know, I mean, he wouldn't need to get as lucky if he missed some bats a bit more. Uh, and the defense was a bit sloppy, and you know the, the uh, 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 at least one of the runs should not have been on white, maybe two. Uh, and he, he did all right. He really he acquitted himself well and looked more like the guy that you know we hope that he can be. So I think that was really positive for the, for him and for the Jays. And, and he's the guy who, though you know the 29th man for a double header, uh, can still be really important down the stretch because there are going to be days where they need. You know, we've seen a couple of bullpen days lately. we have seen the Rays do it now uh, in the game that's upcoming as we're recording this. Um, yeah, just having that pitching depth is is huge. Uh, it's huge uh, for the stupid Rays to like do the thing that they do, where it's like, oh, here's a guy you've never heard of. Uh, he, he's going to come in and dominate. I mean, this the, this is not a thing that happens when uh, when say Thomas Hatch gets the call, which. Uh, has been rare because he hasn't even been able to succeed in the in the the minor leagues this year. Uh so yeah that was huge. But uh, but yeah, Bo obviously that's uh that that was great. Taking the kind of have kind of bats, you know, that uh uh we all would like to see Vladdy have.
0: Yes. Hey, i do, I don't want to start with Mitch White because he deserves a call out there. I know the final line is going to say you know six innings, three earned runs, and the, honestly, in the context of a bullpen game when you're trying to preserve other pitchers, that's absolutely fine. I think he was a little bit better than that. There was some pretty soft contact against him that ended up going for hits um like you said, some bad defense that throw by Teosca Hernandez was oh. uh truly baffling. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, that was very of, you know, 2018, 2019 Teosca Hernandez, early 2019 prior to the demotion. Uh, you know, Merriweather did not get the team out on a good foot. That has, you know, I don't think that was particularly surprising to people necessarily. Like he just hasn't shown a baseline of trustworthy performance. But Mitch White, yeah, in this game you know he wasn't missing bats but the slider was a little bit he got six whiffs with that pitch that's kind of his uh put away pitch in theory they talked a lot about the changeup on the broadcast which i thought was interesting because it's really uh, you know it's a secondary pitch for him for sure he threw it only 8 times in this game he did get a couple of kind of weird swings and soft contact off of it. That would be interesting if that pitch is able to develop. He he really has a slider as the one put away weapon. And I might be using that phrase uh, a little bit generously as well. Um, You know, he's the sort of guy that I don't know, 15 years ago if he said oh we've got the starter who throws 94 and he's got a nice slider that would sound a lot more impressive but just in the context of where the game is today uh, he's a back-end guy but he's also not a total scrub like I think so many Blue Jays fans were willing to after a couple of bad outings from him say oh okay this guy is a horrible pickup he's utterly useless and uh, they made a, a bad trade, and I think an outing like this goes a little bit towards restoring sanity on the Mitch White discourse.
1: Yeah, I think so. I hope so because he's he's been a, an effective pitcher, and and he's going to be around for a while. You know, he's got uh, pretty sure he's got options for for ne- you know an option here next year. Like he's he's going to be. I mean, he he may not be in the minors very much, but like he's going to be. In that conversation for the, the the fourth, fifth starter, sixth starter, seventh starter, maybe not fourth. Jeez, uh, hopefully not fourth uh, for a, for a while now, and with good reason. And was a guy that you know I know Eno Saris was like tweeting about at the t- on the trade deadline on deadline day uh, about how there could be you know there there could be more there. I know you said that about Zach Pop as well. That hasn't really come come to fruition as yet, but there's uh, uh, there are things to be done where you know the Jays sort of. Uh, I mean, it, this this is kind of lost. This concept has has lost a lot of its juice uh, because of you say Kikuchi. but there's you know they saw a guy who I think they think they can mold into something a little bit more, uh, which is uh, perhaps hubristic when uh, when he's coming from the Dodgers organization because they are just so so good at everything they do. But uh, but yeah, I think you can get more out of Mitch White, and I and I do hope that people don't give him you know as hard of a time uh, as they have a little bit. And I you know I mean man, you know, if, if someone's not performing, that's that's fine. It's You're right as a fan to to be mad. And I think – I feel that like <laughs> there were just – at least one of the games where he was terrible was like during a terrible stretch that was already just like I – could, I, I couldn't I, – I just couldn't do it. And so I feel I missed like one of his horrible starts because I was just like, I'm not – like at the first sign of trouble, I'm checking out of this today because the, the discourse is going to be just so toxic. Um, so maybe that's why I'm a little softer on him than some people. But also, like I said on the last podcast, like that, it reminds me of the Brad Hand thing where you just like uh, it's it's an okay pitcher who you've seen the worst of uh, as a, as a first impression. I think Jonathan VR maybe is, is like is it falls into that category a little bit as well. Though also he sucks. Um, but like he's not as bad as Blue Jays fans remember because he like they saw like a career worst stretch from a guy like that. Um, so yeah, no, I think that was good for for Mitch White. I think that the you know he throws hard enough. I like you said. I think you're absolutely right that like 94 with a slider is is obviously. I mean, Jesus, Julie Merriweather, 98 with the slider is not uh, is not good enough if you if your fastball is too straight or if you're you know, if it's just whatever keeps happening with Julia Merriweather. Um, so, yeah, you can't give him too much credit for that. But, uh, but yeah, I think the change-up is there. I did hear – I I heard some about the change-up. I heard about fastballs a lot all day,
0: uh,
1: as I recall from the broadcast.
0: That can happen.
1: <laughs> it, can, it can happen. Buck was on one today. Uh, God love him. But uh, uh, the Ooh. Rays kind of bring that out, you know, in the uh, – that, it, it, that they, you know – it's a, it, I think it's a bad narrative to be you know and this is not Buck but like that oh they just they do all the little things right and they just play perfect like like clean baseball because uh, they don't because you see them ha- you see them, but, it, but it does it, it, it certainly it certainly strikes you sometimes that the Jays make mistakes that maybe the Rays don't as often. I think there, there could be something to that but I can hear I can hear less of that I think and 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 still enjoy myself. But, uh, but also, I mean, on a day when, when Teoscar is like air mailing a blob from like shallow left field to like the, like, to, to the backstop uh, and allowing a run, uh, I can't criticize anyone for getting on the day's sloppy play.
0: I do think that we anchor a little bit to how the Rays sort of became the Rays. Like when the, the Rays were a laughingstock for a long time. And then when they emerged in that 2008 season, I believe it was, Mm -hmm. it really was, wow, these guys can play defense, and wow, these guys can run. And they've had iterations of that because those skills have often been cheaper on the free agent market, and they have not wanted to spend money. So that has been relatively consistent with them to some degree. But also, you know, this year I'm looking at Fangraphs right now, and Fangraphs ranks the Rays as a worse defensive team than the Blue Jays. Like, neither of them ranked particularly high, um, but both of them are well in the minus. And they aren't, you know, a Rania can really run, but they aren't just stealing bases left, right, and center. Uh, they have a negative base running score, according to Fangraphs as well. And, like, that doesn't all need to be taken as gospel, but it's just an indication that it's like this team isn't that ultimate defense uh and running team just because we tend to think of them that way like they strike out a lot as well like they're not the 2015 kansas city royals of those those teams that play small ball and perfect defense and run the bases and that's what makes them good uh it is a little bit more complicated that one thing i did want to say in terms of what i heard today watching the game that i appreciated was all the credit that the home plate umpire was given like you don't see that every day uh and i think i thought it was pretty valid too like the guy was on it in terms of the interfere the catcher interference and the hitter and i mean it was all very weird it was stuff you don't normally see but if we take for a second presume that these calls were the correct calls um it is interesting to see like have all this publicity about robo-umps and i'm not saying robo-umps would do the things that these calls do because that's why you need an umpire even if you have robo-umps but all the negative publicity about umpires it was interesting to see a, a day where guys seemed to put on a little bit of a master class back there
1: yeah i mean i, I mean i i'm in no position to call him call it a master class but well
0: not- again yeah that, maybe that's not fair but it was uh, it was different. We'll put it that way, and it seemed to be that he was really on everything.
1: Yeah, I, and and you know, credit you know Buck was talking about this, and you know I was you know throwing a little shade at Buck uh, for the fastball stuff, but also you know he is a uh, he's a catcher and he's a really perceptive guy. I thought it's a, you know, a tangent, but I thought that the uh, him talking about Ray, uh, Rosarena's foot when he was getting a leadoff was like, oh, he'll open it up just a little bit if he's about to run and then called it. And then he literally ran. Like, I thought that was like, uh, that's just incredible perception of, of something that you can only get from being somebody who has been in the game for that long, you know? And, and, and I think that also partly, you know, they were, they really were, uh, uh Dan and Buck were, were praising the umpire last night as well until that brutal strike call. Uh, uh, the yeah. The which also, was a tough it, one. Too. And I, uh, the, Bren Miller, I think, was last night's up. I don't even remember the name of the ump today. And this is something uh, I've been on about a long time that, you know, the umpires that are good, you don't know their names because you don't have to look up who this clown is to, like, get mad at them. Uh, and uh, and yeah, all credit to whoever that was. And like Apparently to-
0: it was Ramon DeHazes. So uh, yeah. credit for- to Ramon. Um,
1: I. I- I, I think that's fair. I think that's totally fair. Oh, we got Dave on the line. Let's uh let's take a call. We like we like calls. Dave, you'll just have to unmute and uh welcome to the show, man.
0: Oh, and oh, he's, one of our he's one gone.
1: famous pocket dials.
0: <laughs> Sometimes they slip through the nets. You know what? We can't always count on the you know, in our last episode we had a, a lot of content from the call. Oh, we got Dave again. I think there is intent. It's not They're purely made. pocket.
1: All right. I think we got
2: how are we him. doing guys? Great man, my thanks end? for calling. Yeah, sorry, I uh, I panicked. Tried to unmute myself, didn't work.
1: Um, <laughs> didn't, no worries. I'm a rookie. I'm tricky. a rookie.
2: Just made my profile just for this. Oh, thanks um, so much, man. <laughs> so I wanted to touch on the umpire thing because actually, this is something that drives me up the wall. Is how umpires and referees and other sports never uh, there's never any accountability when they stink, right? Like we can talk mm. about it on the broadcast and f- bark about it but there's never any accountability and you made a good point. I think it was Andrew that like, well, we don't, we don't ever celebrate them when they're good. So yeah. like making them, cause I've always said like, it would be sweet if part of the, you know, post game media obligations, you know, each team, winning team, losing team, like it would be awesome if umpires and referees had to do, you know, the, Ron McLean, Hockey Night in Canada, towel around the (laughs) neck. They had to sit there and they had to answer for their sins, or they had to, you know, get a player of the game kind of. Hey, that call you made, um, right on the black, that ended that threat. Like, what, what a great call! You were sharp on it, and that was a huge turning point. I think that would be incredible. Um, And you see it in the NFL where they have, they have like a former ref or a former official, whatever. Uh, in the booth or part of the broadcast team to really review calls. And do you think that, you know, in baseball, this hold on to the antiquated, we can't go to robo-umps because umps are so important um, to the fabric of the game? Like, would that be something that could be added to broadcasting to make that a better, you know, make umpiring good good or bad a better part of the fan experience? I,
1: I think that's I think that's a really interesting idea, Dave. And also, I mean, I'll I'll leave it to Nick because I know Nick. You you know you will know the more than I will the ins and outs of like the umpire accountability. You know, post game with the media, like the one pool reporter can go down and talk to an umpire. Kind of is 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 basically how that works. Uh,
0: yeah, I don't recall that actually happening when I was there, and that was three years. So I, it would be. I think there is a mechanic for that to happen, and it, but I think it generally would happen under very extreme circumstances. And some of the things that you're describing, Dave, um it's interesting because you know giving someone credit, for instance, like that was an incredible call in a big moment. Like me and you and and Stone here can be like, wow, that would be cool if we did that. I just I've, I'm hesitant to believe it would resonate with fans. Like I don't know. I mean, now you want to see the guy with the towel and whatnot but I think that a lot of fans kind of enjoy the dynamic where the umps are kind of the antagonists and you get to complain when they're bad and when they're good, we don't care. Like, I think that dynamic exists for a reason. I'm not saying that it's good necessarily, but it is... It is nice for fans to have this antagonist and those umpire scorecards yeah. come out. And I think, you know, I think the robo ump's are a good idea in general. But it is yeah. going to be interesting when that leaves the game and that dynamic of oh, we can blame it on the shitty strike zone uh, is gone because we-, we will find other excuses. That's what human beings do.
1: Sure. I think, and- absolutely. I mean, well, like those, those interference calls today. I mean, you you will need, and this is why a, a tangent here as well. But like, this is why it's weird to me that it hasn't happened already with the robo ump's because I think a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's a union issue. It's like the umpires don't want that. It. It's like, well, but no, they're, jo- they're not losing any jobs. They still need a guy to stand there and call that interference right. call, call the, call the plays at the plate, do all sorts of things. Just take, You're just taking the strike zone away from them. It's
2: very yeah. simple. It, it should have been happening yesterday. I just think like, I, I know we don't like to be the hockey Neanderthals that we always are in Canada. We dive back into that <laughs> as soon as stuff goes wrong, but like to to touch on something in hockey that is good in the officiating like Wes McCauley finds himself on highlights and finds himself on buzzworthy like social media clips because he does have a flair and he does he is willing to put himself you know out there and and maybe maybe it would and he's also a very good referee he's probably the best one in the league so um I think there is room for personality in umpiring and like I think it would be kind of an interesting follow like I, I started reading drunk Jays fans and like, could you imagine if there was drunk MLB umps and there was somebody <laughs> blogging and podcasting about like good and bad umpiring performance and actually looking at it from a, uh, you know, a little bit more of uh of like an actual part of the game. Cause we always hear about how umpiring is this untouchable part of the game, but then it sucks most of the time and we don't get to uh, hold anybody accountable for it. Anyways, I'll hang no, Thanks, guys. No, thanks for calling, man.
0: Thanks for calling. I, one other sport too, you know, Dave uh, used hockey as a comparable that I think does a really good job with this is the NBA with their last two minute reports and they will basically cop to situations, like big situations in games and basketball is very difficult to officiate. Like there's a lot of highly subjective uh, calls involved in it in terms of fouls and they will have, give out these reports on games and they'll, describe like issue calls that were not made like ways that the referees messed up and they'll be totally honest about that. And I think that that's fantastic because yeah, it does give people that sense of accountability. Also it shows sort of a self-awareness. Like we know the guys we're putting out here are human. They're not perfect. Blown calls are going to happen and kind of getting out in front of it and having that attitude is a little bit more relatable, I think than sometimes leagues that treat their, you know, their officiating staff as, you know, beyond beyond reproach, beyond the law might be a little bit dramatic, but kind of in <laughs> that vein.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Uh, I, I'm not sure that the umpires themselves want to be, well, I mean, some of them clearly want to be
0: uh, <laughs> center of
1: attention, but I, I think <laughs> well, the
0: absolutely
1: ones, the good ones definitely don't. The good ones would like to have a beer in, uh, in a bar and not have to be harassed for, for stuff, like not be recognizable. Um but yeah, I think that I think it's an interesting idea. There are definitely some sites out there. Uh, Dave, thanks for uh, being a longtime supporter too. Man, that's uh, that's that's been a long time of my stupid life, uh, <laughs> going way back. But uh, yeah, there like there are definitely sites out there that like chronicle ejections, and I and I know this because anytime I have to be like, what you know, what happened in there? Which which was the Doug Eddings game, and which was the Jeff Nelson game? Uh, to take an example from like literally last week when I was googling this stuff, and, and there are. Uh, there are sites out there where it's uh, you can you can follow the, the the ups and downs of each umpire and how often they you know get doing weird stuff, uh, which is uh, just uh, adds to the rich tapestry of the sport we love, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. Um, <laughs> before we get, I mean, I guess we already have gotten away from the game. I did want to give you an opportunity, still, though, to circle back on the bow stuff, just because. I mean, there's not much more to say about how fantastic he's been. I know you, you wrote a really detailed piece on his at bat and then, you know, watching this at bat happen again. It does feel like early in his career, there was, you know, potentially a little bit of a myth, but an idea that he was this impossible out and that he would get to two strikes and totally change his approach. And, you know, he would be just wear pitchers down. And over the course of his career, we've seen a little bit more. That certainly does happen from time to time, but that has not been the norm for him. And his stats with two strikes haven't actually been all that fantastic. But it seems like the mythology is returning a little bit. And uh, I was wondering if you wanted to kind of circle back on what you did with that because I thought it was a good piece.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are always. I mean, that's just, that, that's just easy content right there. I mean, that 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 at bat was the game, and and it was fascinating to watch that battle. And as it was at the. Uh, at the end of, of game one of this doubleheader, too, like that, uh, to to see a guy that locked in against, you know, in this in, in today's instance against Fairbanks, who's throwing a hundred, and, uh, and and like, like that's I, that that's sort of the beauty of the sport, right? And uh, I thought uh, Jason Adam, you know, sucks, has uh, had a great great year. Not my favorite uh, player um, for obvious reasons, but like. Uh, really? I mean that. that I kind of like, you know. I mean, I I took I I took his uh, like reaction. Uh, you know, that was very very brief. Uh, but he made a good face, so I uh, you know blew that up a little bit. But like, but it did it did you know he did genuinely see surprised seem surprised like what the hell just happened because that doesn't happen to Adam and it was uh and it was after such a battle uh, with two strikes. You're absolutely right that the two strike thing has been wildly overblown about Boba And I know that we haven't really heard about it for the last couple of years as much. Um, but people love, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't want to, I don't want to get on Buck's case again, because Buck's awesome and we all love Buck, but like, yeah, you, you know, like where, where the, the leg kick went away and now, you know, now he's doing a little bit different thing with the, with the leg when, uh, you know, uh, when there isn't two strikes, but like the leg kick would go away very obviously. We do the toe tap and, uh, and you could see that he was, you know, happy to spoil pitches and, you know, work the count back into his favor and, uh, and do all those good things, which, 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 which at times has absolutely felt correct, and when he's locked in like he is right now, absolutely sort of does seem correct, like when you watch it, 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 you know, at live speed. Um... But yeah, generally, if you look at his two strike stats, it's like, oh, he's kind of pedestrian. He's like, no, it's, he's no better or worse than anybody else. And I think there's, you know, there's years. I think last year, Vladdy was like way better with two strikes than Bo was. I mean, Vladdy was way better than everybody with every count last year, um, which is another, which is another topic. where we that we uh, that kind of folds in with the Bow thing. Uh, to tangent yet again of. Uh, because he's, uh, you know, because because of how what people thought about Bo and how frustrated they were with him, and, and I don't think it's it's the same yet with Vlad at this point because you know he has been a bit frustrating lately, but it's still you know the production is still there a little bit, uh, like even in his like struggles, uh, and overall it's been really good. But obviously, he's scuffling a little bit right now. And, uh, you know, I think it's just he's not as high profile defensively because when you add the, the, you know, the errors at shortstop, which occasionally happen, a young shortstop and a guy who's, you know, average ish there uh, and really needs his bat to carry him, that's sort of, I think, for Bo compounded the issue in, in, you know, in the discourse uh, where that's not happening as much with Vlad, though people are, you know, people would like to see him move down in the lineup and, Perhaps a conversation to be had about that. Though I'm not, I'm not necessarily pro that. But, but I think it, it. It what's happened with Bo shows you how quickly an elite hitter, a person with this kind of talent, can turn this around and can turn this narrative around. And I, I think that, you know, it would be nice to see him. Do this all the time, you know. Not necessarily even just the production, but just getting, you know, being able to like keep these at bats alive and to make good swing decisions and to make good choices in terms of, you know, you you could hit the ball into a glove or you can, you could take a pitch. The umpire calls wrong or that it's a borderline pitch and that's fine. But I think there was a lot of time earlier in the season uh, where it felt like once you got him to Owen two, quote unquote, Bowen two. Uh, he was he was in real trouble and and to see that he's able to sort of control the at bat more now especially against a guy who you know sucks but has had a really good year and and adam um was pretty good like that's 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 really impressive stuff and a guy who just doesn't give up home runs doesn't give up runs and, and and has been very very effective this year
0: yeah, a couple of things on that. One with the with the Vladdy side of it, it, I think the timing is really important to people's perception. The fact that Bo got off to sort of a rough start and then he's built up and had this happen and it felt like a surprise in a sense, although we know he has this level of talent. People are aware of the fact that he's been an all-star before. There's a level of, oh, this is an off year, or maybe he wasn't as good as we thought, especially with him being a little bit wild in terms of his process. Whereas when you start, and that's not that Vlad necessarily started the year hot, but the reason he's got good production now is because he's built it up over the course of the year, not at a 2021 level, but still very solid, still well above average at a level that has helped the team consistently, which hasn't really been the same for Bo, although Bo has probably helped the team more now. If you look at their overall stats, a shortstop with an 804 OPS is going to be more helpful than a first baseman with 825. Their relative defense, you know, muddies that water a little bit. But anyway, the the point of the matter is that because Guerrero has been generally solid for most of the year and then had this kind of late fall off, which he had last year during August, this is just a little bit later in the year. It changes the perception. I, I'm definitely not in the in the group to push him down the lineup. I think you leave him where he is and let him figure it out. I'm pretty confident that he will. Like if you ask me, will his OPS be higher than 825 from here on out? I'd probably still say yes, even though he's struggling with the ground balls right now because it can just click in for him. We just saw it with Bo. On Bo's at-bats, uh, I did want to mention one thing that's different is that he gets in the you know the two-strike approach. He gets two strikes on him. When things are going well, he's still able to take pitches in that context. Like he's still, he is, uh, swinging it a lot. He's fouling off a lot. That's part of the whole deal, but you know, it's one, two, and he's able to lay off a close pitch and extend the at bat further that way as opposed to having to foul off everything. And it felt like early in the year, he'd get in those spots and he did have some of those long at bats, but often they would end 0-2 or 1-2 because his way of surviving was literally fouling off every pitch. We yeah, have another,
1: I, I think that's fair. Yeah,
0: we have another caller.
1: Woo! Yeah, uh, elated. I, I'm elated. We've got a we've got a caller. You just have to unmute yourself and uh, welcome to the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Going great. Yeah. Man. So much. Sorry, I, I missed the first few minutes of the show, so sorry if I'm going back over
0: something already discussed. But just the Mitch White performance today. Yeah. Um, the for me, like it's too bad they lost the game, but it sure sets them up a lot
1: better in a eleven game over a ten day stretch than it could be if they had to blow through their bullpen today. So Yeah, I think feeling, you're also right. Yeah. You know, feeling good about the outlook maybe over the next five or so days, better than it would have been if they had to kind of like in I piece. We know at this point I mean those listening later will will have seen whatever happens with Alec Manoa, but uh but but him potentially missing this game as well. I mean really uh uh, you know, to get that performance out of right, White, even though the offense wasn't there, I think it's outstanding for them.
0: Yeah, it, go- it goes to show that there's more value, you know, kind of beyond the wins and losses of every game. Right. Like every time a backup plays, you're getting a starter rest as a position player that might benefit them down the road. When you have a guy soak up a bunch of innings like that, you're benefiting the rest of your bullpen. You're also maybe benefiting your starter because there isn't as much of a need to push him deeper into the game because there are more guys available. Uh, It can definitely have a knock on effect in a stretch like this. And yeah, we talked before about how Mitch White, you know, three runs and in six innings does not make you a superstar, uh, but it was a very important performance for the Blue Jays today.
1: Yeah, man, uh, you got any other questions? Or the, the oh, you're, you're you're already gone, and I appreciate you calling, man. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that the I, and like I say, Manoa is definitely uh, this game two is going to be interesting. I feel weird we're talking about it because I know a lot of people are going to be listening to this probably after game two. Um, we'll see well what we'll, let's let's fingers crossed Manoa doesn't uh doesn't like fucking shit himself on the field uh, <laughs> that seems like a weird thing to have to do on the day you know you, you got a stomach bug you're like all right I'm gonna stand out in front of thousands and thousands of people and, and hundreds of thousands on tv uh but if anyone can do it Alec Manoa can uh that's our that's our big beefy boy
0: here's a, a transition for that <laughs> speaking of that uh, I'm really interested in the hot dog storyline today. Um, we've <laughs> yeah. got a doubleheader. I'll be waiting for, you know, Shy's report on how many hot dogs went down, and I, I look forward to commenting on that later. There was a notion that those couple guys were gonna go for 40 today. Um, we did not hear much about that during the first game, presumably because we don't know what the end point is gonna be, so this is a bit of a weird time to check in on that storyline. Uh, I did want to check in on the idea that eating 20 hot dogs each is patently insane and that I like, I hope these guys are safe because it, it is not going to be a good night for them. It is not going to be a good tomorrow for them, potentially. And uh, my thoughts and, and prayers are with their loved ones.
1: <laughs> or anyone in the general vicinity, really. True. Um, they're suffering for their art, I guess. you know. Uh, who are we to judge? Uh, what the what what is in the artist's heart and mind? Uh, <laughs> like also, I mean, I, they're they're stumping for throwing out the first pitch on the last Looney Dog night of the of the season, which uh, I think is wonderful. I fully endorse this. I mean, uh, th- this to me, this is just so much more wholesome and less annoying than like. you remember when those umpire guys would like sit behind home plate in like in, like extravagantly expensive seats and wear umpire uniforms and like do fake. Fake strikeout calls and stuff like that. Like that really, that that really uh, stuck in my craw a bit. To the point that I still remember it years ago, and I'm like, "Fuck those guys!" Even though uh, the spirit of it was probably more intended to be in in all in good fun than than uh, you know, a curmudgeon like myself uh, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe took it as. Uh, but these hot dog men, uh, you know, I can only salute them. Yeah, uh, 40 hot dogs seems just completely. Completely bonkers, but uh, so is that. That's forty between them. That's twenty each. What are
0: they? Twenty each, and so I I googled the weight of a hot dog here. (laughs) This is, it's. I don't really. I'm not sure. I buy this. It says around one point six ounces. So that means ten is a pound, and and twenty hot dogs is two pounds of hot dogs. Keep in mind (laughs) that is purely the meat. That's not the buns uh, or the condiments. So that will add a significant amount to it. I. It sounds. Like it would be more than that, to be honest. Two pounds of hot dog meat, while totally inadvisable, doesn't sound as apocalyptic uh, as 20 (laughs) hot dogs somehow. Anyway, it's – it's going to be tough. We are definitely... This podcast is cheering for these guys. Uh, they absolutely... There's, you know, throwing out the first I pitch... I hope
1: neither of them dies and we have to take this down. Oh,
0: my God, yeah. No, they're going to be okay. They, they, they did 30 last time, okay? Yeah. They're going to be fine. Uh, but, you know, the first pitch of the game, the ceremonial first pitch, it's not that scarce a commodity, you know? There are 81 of them to give out. There's charities there's celebrities there's lots of good reasons to give them out but I feel like a couple of them end up going to like someone random. And uh, instead of that person, let's give it to whichever one of these two hot dog men eats the most hot dogs. And then the first round, one guy had 18 to the other guy's 12, I believe. So there's a clear top dog. And I really regret saying it that way um, in this duo. And I think that that guy should throw it the first pitch. And the other guy can be out there on the mound, you know, showing support. Maybe he's in the hot dog suit because you don't want to pitch out of this hot dog suit presumably i don't know there's a lot of logistics to work out that's not our job but we are yeah. hoping <laughs> for the best
1: uh yeah um i mean maybe throw a hot dog as the first pitch i don't know uh for the, speaking of the condiments i maybe it's changed since my experience earlier in the season but uh weren't a lot of hot weren't a lot of condiments available uh, there at the Rogers Center for some hot dogs. So, uh, so maybe the weight there isn't so bad. But I, I will say, like, I don't know. I, I, have, I have folks, uh, friends, friends, family, literally who like, I, like, well, you know, talk about baseball a whole ton. Who literally have been like talking, to, talking hot dogs. Talking. To, I was tweeting the other day about like, what is the weight of like the thousands of hot dogs they're going to? And, and people were like, I'm doing math and trying to try, trying to like figure out just how many hot dogs are actually going to be consumed and how completely ridiculous it's going to be and uh i i would say i will say based on those conversations probably smaller like fewer trucks than you think um but still eating 12, 20 of them is kind of fucking gross obviously uh, and, uh <laughs> and and should at least come with the reward of getting to throw out a first pitch
0: so, something a little bit, uh let's say more serious, serious, too strong a word potentially, but uh, about the fan experience that's come up in the last couple of days. Saw the Blue Jays doing something fan-friendly, which is not always the case, so I wanted to flag it. They have a $5 ticket offer for students going out for this series. And I know attendance has been kind of soft. The weather hasn't been the greatest. That's probably affected walk-up crowds. But it's the first time in a while I've seen – I know they had one around April that was pretty good, something like this. I'm not shouting this out to say, oh, go buy these tickets. Obviously, it's a very specific thing for a subset of people. But on this podcast, before we discussed, you know, those Toronto Star passes in the past and how good it was for getting people into baseball. So I did want to point this out because, you know, baseball is always talking about the value of getting younger fans. And this series is incredibly important and figures to be pretty tense. And this seems like a good idea. And, you know, I just, you know, give a little credit where credit's due, just like giving credit to a home plate umpire. Um, This seems like a good idea. And, in fact, why don't they do it all the time, basically?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the game should be more accessible. I I saw that Travis Sochick, who does stuff for the score, and is a a known uh, quantity in uh, in, in baseball writing circles, Uh, was tweeting about, uh, just how attendance has stagnated or dropped in recent years, which is, you know, I think the, the conversation that that sort of sparked was about how teams have very intentionally gone away from, they don't want to pack this, you know, they're, they're going to pull seats out of stadiums. Because they want to sell the limited, they want the limited number of seats to be sold for more, and to focus on the luxury crowd and to focus on the rich crowd and the crowd that's going to pay more. And they don't, they don't want you know forty thousand people paying ten bucks. They want twenty thousand people paying twenty bucks. Uh, And and that's as you say, that's that that is that is antithetical to like building the 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 fan experience, to building you know the fan base. as we've talked about with the Toronto Star passes, you know that was such a uh, an important thing in formative years for a really lot of people who are really, you know, uh, who are really out there still driving a lot of conversation about the Toronto Blue Jays and 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 about the sport. And there's a generation of people who, you know, it wasn't that many people, but like, a lot, you know, that's like the Velvet Underground. You know, not everybody bought the record, but they all started <laughs> blogs, right? Like, you know, it's like. Uh, uh, it, 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 there's i think there's absolutely something to that and, and especially in series like this where you know you know use your diet dy- you've got dynamic pricing they know what they know what they think the value of their seat is worth and if it hurts hits a certain point where they they can't sell it or they want you know they want more people in the in the stadium this is a great way to do it like these you know target these people and, and get them into your stadium like i think that's great i remember like years ago like montreal canadians would like just give free tickets to every grade three class in like the montreal area something like that and it's like that's like that's brilliant that will make people fans forever that will really or you know not everyone but it will It like that that really helps to to build something and that's you know that's what you want you, it can't just be you know uh, an inaccessible luxury item where everybody else just sort of watches on tv it will not hold up that way i'm not worried about the attendance stuff because I, like i say a lot of the a lot of it has been teams one team is being deliberately bad and two teams being deliberately like not like pulling seats out of their stadiums or are or, or building new stadiums with fewer seats and not going through that model where, you know, you don't see stadiums like the, the Roger center originally was where it was like over 50,000 people could sit in there. Um, and yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. And the, as for the, I, like, you know, it's, it, the kids are back to school in September. Like there is, this is always a bit of a soft spot attendance wise. So I hope they weren't like surprised by it, but, uh, but, yeah, smart move and, and something I'd love to see more of.
0: Yeah, when you're running a business, and every MLB baseball team is a business, some of them are run more like it than others. Sometimes, you you know, I don't know if you had quite have the Illich model from before of who cares if we make money or not, uh, which may have been exaggerated even then. But there is a business case. For this is an outlay that's not going to cost us very much or even anything in a lot of cases where you have a little bit softer attendance and it'll be hard to justify in a spreadsheet of like if we get x number of kids and how many will become lifelong fans and how much money will they spend and will we st- still be the owners when that pays off like you don't know you can i'm sure someone has tried to model that out but as far as i'm concerned it's impossible And once in a while, it's nice to see teams do something where it's like it's we don't know exactly what the benefit of this is going to be, but we think it's there and we're going to do it. And this is a it is, albeit a a modest example of that, but it is an example of that.
1: Yeah. Good for them for doing it. I mean, some of the other seats could be cheaper, Uh, cheap hot dogs, too, it turns out.
0: Yeah, before we get out of here, uh I did want to touch on some of the Blue Jays prospects of previous years just because Jordan Groshans is coming up. So we're going to get to see that one. That's going to be interesting just because what they got for him was relatively modest. You know, not that Anthony Bass has not helped the bullpen, not that Pop won't at some point in the future, but if Groshans is great right away, which is not something I'm necessarily projecting, I think you might see a little bit of uh A little bit of a narrative build around that. I did want to flag some of the other guys. Gunnar Hoagland returned to pro ball, three outings, and was shut down with a biceps issue. That's one of the reasons they say there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. I'm not saying that he won't be good at some point in the future, but that's the kind of thing that can happen. Austin Martin, 90 WRC plus a double A, repeating the level, 23 years old, two home runs in 85 games. He has some skills, um, but at this point, it really seems like the Blue Jays got off the train at the right time. And then uh, SWR uh, Woods Richardson knocking on the door, AAA. He's got a 3.38 ERA there, 3.06 a Double A. Good strikeout numbers, which was a little bit of a concern with him at one point because he's thought to be more of a polished guy than a raw stuff guy. He might be the guy in the near future where people think, "Oh man, it would have been nice to have that guy." But it's good to provide the examples of how these guys are doing. There's a long ways to go yet, but it serves as a reminder that uh, giving up those prospects that you kind of pined after for years and years and years and assumed we're all going to be superstars, that's not necessarily the case. But maybe it will be with Quoshons, Who's to know?
1: Uh, no, that's really interesting to see him up. I've seen that he's you know, had a little bit more power since he's moved to the Mar- Marlins organization.
0: Um, you know, hard not to,
1: basically, based on how he performed this year in Buffalo. Uh, which is why the Jays sort of gave up on him, or, or didn't give up on him, but felt that the time was right to uh, to move on. If he if he grows into that power still, which which is I think entirely you know possible. He's still pretty young. Uh, yeah, that trade might look a little bit weird down the line. I mean, I don't think you can rule it out. I think I don't think I, mean, I don't think you can do it on Hoagland either, though. Matt Chapman's really fucking awesome. Like, like I don't know, you'll find a lot of people complaining about Matt Chapman being here. Barrios, uh, you probably will find people complaining about being here, but it definitely. Eases the blow a little bit, uh, knowing that uh, knowing that, that you know Martin just hasn't really taken off the way that like I mean this was a guy when when he was drafted I mean everyone was super excited it was like the Jays got the best player in the draft like fell into his fell into their lap like he was the most talented guy according to multiple I think evaluators a lot of people were really really excited about that pickup uh, and the fact that they were able to to that that he just somehow slid. Um, and yeah, it's worked out really, really well for them. Uh, maybe, not, maybe they shouldn't have given Barrios that contract, but uh, but but that trade looks great still, even with you know what Barrios has done, which has you know been better in the second half, I suppose. Uh,
2: the times? I don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, if they had made the playoffs in 2021, <laughs> that would have made a big difference to how that was perceived. Uh, because mean? technically, the extension is not really part of it. Um, although it, you know, his salary this year created a base for that to happen it's I don't know i'm not I'm not on the Barrios acquisition was a mistake train just yet based on how good he was for how long he was good I'm gonna have to see another bad year from him to say that's a disaster
1: yeah I think that's hundred percent fair yeah um but no it, it is it is very interesting and I think you're right like it, it's very funny every year every off season. you know we get it to oh we can't you can't trade that you can't trade that guy and then things change very very quickly I mean people we'' we're, we're, we're Ochre, Alejandro, Kirk out the door at the start of the year, and now and then, then he's an all-star, and now they're like, oh, maybe he's not. You know, uh, the, the fans are the fans are a bit fickle at times because it's uh, it's a funny game that way.
0: All right. We will wrap it there and we will be back with you guys Thursday. That probably doesn't sound like a lot of time, but a fair amount of baseball we played between now and then. So I appreciate you guys listening live at this, a little bit of an unusual time for us and everyone who listened afterwards and uh, knows more about what happened with Manoa than we do right now. Um, We will see you then.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, everybody. Enjoy, uh, enjoy game number two and or, the game you're about to watch when you listen to this. (laughs) Thanks, everyone.